Want to give your career a kick in the pants? Get with the movement towards artificial intelligence, data management, and digital innovation. Carnegie Mellon University has developed a course just for federal employees who want to learn these fields and maybe switch or upgrade their careers. Here with more, Carnegie Associate Dean Jackie Speedy. Ms. Speedy, good to have you with us. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Tell us more about this course. What's it all about? So this is a new executive education program that we're launching. We had at Carnegie Mellon been doing quite a few exec ed programs for the private sector C-suite folks. And we started to see more interest from public sector folks in our digital innovation and digital strategy existing programs. And we thought, We're a public policy school. Let's make a custom program that looks at the issues as our government becomes more data-driven and uses technology in new ways. And thus, this program was born, and we're starting the inaugural class this August. And Carnegie Mellon is probably most famous for the Software Engineering Institute and the great depth of technical knowledge and expertise that it has in software and the implications. But you're saying this is growing out of a public policy focus. Is there some informing of it by the technology side of Carnegie Mellon? Absolutely. So the Heinz College that's sponsoring this program is a unique place in and of itself. It's a college that has the co-location of a public policy school and an information system school under one roof. So our faculty may be experts in information systems, but they often are looking at how to apply information systems to the social good or public sector issues. So it's inherent in kind of who we are. It's the DNA of the college that's sponsoring the program. Sure. And this is available to federal employees and anyone else? Federal employees, state and local government employees also. So we're looking at a government focus, and we're really looking for folks that have about five years of experience and that are rising leaders in their agencies. And can they be, say, in policy development or program analysis or something like that, and they want to get more technical, maybe, because that's a route to distinction these days. It could be someone that wants to upskill themselves, to use the current term. That's exactly right. So our goal is not to train, you know, technocrats. It's not a hands-on keyboard where they're going to be coding in Python. Rather, it's more for the manager and the decision makers so that as they grow in their careers, they can use existing technology and they can hire those technicians, if you will, to utilize data effectively in government to bring in some of the strategies that the private sector has been using for quite some time and really try and transform government to make it more effective and efficient with these tools and strategies. And it sounds as if it presupposes that artificial intelligence, data management, and digital innovation are really of a piece in some ways. Absolutely. The government probably has maybe I would say some of the richest treasure troves of data of any organization out there. And so it's how to get government to think about data as an asset and how to use it in their program delivery. And so Thinking about data management is kind of this foundational piece. What is your data? How can you use it? What's the life cycle of that data? And how can you use it to drive decision making? That's fundamental. But then with that comes digital transformation. So then all of a sudden you start to introduce new ways of using digital tools and new processes. And that can also bring about some risks, some change to work culture. And so our plan with that is to to address how these managers can kind of balance the transformation of the culture of these agencies to be more accepting of digital tools and transformation as they move in that direction. 
And then the big gorilla in the room is artificial intelligence. And so then how can algorithms be used and in which situation should it be used to automate some processes within government and thinking about the ethical implications, the risk, the privacy, and all of those so that constituents in the public feel really confident in how their data is being used in this way. We're speaking with Jackie Speedy. She's Associate Dean at Carnegie Mellon University. And tell us about the format of the course. Do people have to go to Pittsburgh for 10 weeks or how does it work that sense? That's a great question. It's going to be a six-month beginning-to-end program. It will be synchronously delivered over Zoom. So it's not an in-person program, but it is a cohort model. So we're bringing in one cohort. Our goal is to build relationships among these participants digitally. And then at the midpoint, we're going to have an in-person meetup in Washington, D.C. so they can have a face-to-face interaction and then complete the program remotely. One way we're hoping to spur that cross-sector innovation or cross-agency innovation is through project components that are weaved throughout the program in which students will be put onto a team and have an advisor that is actually a government official or somebody that has government experience advising them throughout the course of that six-month program. And how much time per week will students need to get dispensation for from their agencies? That's a great question as well. It's every Friday for six months, uh, just afternoon, so Friday afternoons. Right. So it'll be online primarily, but with one or possibly more than one in-person gathering throughout that six-month period. That's right. And what do they achieve? A certificate? Is there CCE credits or what do they get out of it? They're going to get a certificate in public interest technology, as well as three component certificates that verify that they have completed the data management component, the digital transformation component, as well as the AI leadership component. Got it. So public interest technology, but don't say it's the pits. That's right. Don't say it's the pits. (laughs) (laughs) And in development of this course, of course, the Carnegie Mellon faculty was involved. Were also federal officials and maybe some state and local officials part of the development of it? Absolutely. So pre-COVID, about three years ago, we were in Washington and we convened a number of focus groups with government agencies and partners to find out what was missing in the talent pipeline in government and how we could help, you know, to use that term, upskill the workforce. As we knew that the Data-Driven Act was passed in 2018 and we were hearing that there were some challenges within the current government personnel as to how to use data in a meaningful way. And we thought this was a great opportunity for Carnegie Mellon to come in and play a significant role. The other thing that really spurred this too was when Biden passed the executive order around using human-centered design with digital tools and thinking about the constituents. And that's something else that we play a big role in is kind of who's using the tool and how can it be more helpful for that person. So through those focus groups, we realized this is our opportunity. And also we talk to our alumni. So we train graduate students in public policy data analysis. And so our graduates are going into government. And so when we talk to those that have been out for five years and looking at their career trajectory, we were finding that a lot were going into government and then exiting. There wasn't a real pathway for them to move up the ranks. And so this also was an opportunity, I think, to create more of this ecosystem um, when we think about education and our mission as a university with the public sectors, we're training the graduates, and now we want to make sure that the government also has the right opportunities. And is there a class size limit, and what's the deadline for application? 
We're hoping to have our inaugural cohort of about 20, and the deadline is coming up here mid-July slash August 1st, let's say August 1st, for a launch in mid-August. Jackie Speedy is Associate Dean at Carnegie Mellon University. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. And by the way, if you visit Pittsburgh, it's a pretty nice old town. And we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Sign up for the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader and what about them inspired you? you know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old and uh, I remember I really wanted to play little league baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same. Uh, Whether, you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. and, and, And he was just really honest with me. And he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was I think my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood, and I and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that that what we say and do. Admit it, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most 
leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. With Target Red Card, you'll save 5% every day in-store and online. Find the red card that's right for you, whether it's debit, credit, or Target's new Red Card Reloadable, which doesn't require an existing bank account or credit check. With Target Red Card, you'll get exclusive deals and free shipping on most items. Visit Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. It's always a great day to save. Restrictions apply. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.